0: Well, good morning. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Mayflower Church. Whether you're watching our live stream or you are here in the sanctuary, we're so happy you've decided to join us in worship. If you're here in person and you're on the aisle, please find the friendship register. I know some of you have already done that and pass that along to those in your pew. Well, it's summer and we are in a series titled Voices and Vision. So, we've enjoyed hearing from different speakers and preachers, and next week, we will have Reverend Catherine Baker with us, so that'll be fantastic. We also have special guests, Kevin and Susan Fry. They are the founders and directors of Eden Ministries in Doma, Zimbabwe. We've partnered with Eden's for several decades, and we're looking forward to even greater engagement with that particular ministry. So, we'll hear from Kevin and Susan in the service, and then you'll have an opportunity to greet them and chat with them more in our coffee hour after the service so check your email news for more information of how to get involved we are having a clothing drive for them so you can find those details on our website so music as you know is a huge part of the ministry here at Mayflower so for a word about today's music please welcome dr. Julia Brown
1: Thank you Ruth <clears throat> The prelude you just heard, you may have thought, well, that doesn't really sound like Bach. Um, Bach's children lived in an era of rapidly changing musical styles and musical tastes. And so the the keyboard sonata you just heard was by one of uh, J.S. Bach's younger children and probably the least well-known of his composer children, Johann Christoph Friedrich Bach. Um, And for a postlude today, you will hear another son of Bach's, Wilhelm Friedman, who was Bach's oldest son, and you will see, uh, you will hear a style that is more similar to his father's, so I am just fascinated by this era, at the end of Bach's life, and then the beginning of Mozart, there's this nebulous time that a lot was going on, and uh, just wonderful music happening. A big contrast to the box, though, you will hear today and you will sing today some gospel music. So our middle hymn, Just a Closer Walk With Thee. I thought I better just point out how it looks on the page. I know that we all know this music, but um, we're going to be singing just verse 1 and 2. It's number 430 in our hymnal, and it begins with a refrain and then verse 1, and then we go back up to the refrain in verse 2, and then we end with a refrain. So I don't want you to be frustrated with the road map. That's what's happening with that piece. Um, And our closing hymn is one not from our hymnal, uh, written by a uh, living hymn writer just um, in 2015, a few years ago. And it's so perfectly fit uh uh, the gospel reading today and what Ruth's going to be preaching on so I uh the the tune is familiar the words are new and I hope that they give you some interesting concepts and ideas and and uh inspiration to live this week out in the world
0: thank you so much Julia please note this Thursday night is ladies night out And Friday night is a 49-up party. So, the fun continues, and you can check our website for details. Also, for those of you planning on attending George Gordon's funeral, it will be 10 o'clock here on Saturday morning. And now, I invite Reverend Eric Britcher to begin our service with our call to worship.
2: In Psalm 119... The words of the psalmist are powerful statements. They are pungent descriptions of his relationship with God. The psalmist speaks, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set my heart on your laws. I run in the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. So as together... This morning we quiet our spirits. Let's draw our hearts into the worship experience coming with the same determination as the psalmist in these petitions of his. Teach me, Lord. Give me understanding. Direct me in your paths. Turn my heart toward your statutes. Fulfill your promise to your servant. May your unfailing love come to me, Lord. Together, in the very presence of God, let us worship in music, song, message, and prayer. Shall we pray? Mighty God, we do not yet see the glory of your plan for all humankind, but in faith we do see Jesus. We thank you for the humility and holiness in which he lived and died. We praise you that he made freedom from our sin a possibility. And that he comforts and strengthens us through our struggles, giving us courage to follow him. And for all of this, we now join with all creation to shout for joy, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord. Amen.
3: Good morning. We have two scripture readings today. Uh, The first is from the book of Amos, chapter 7, verses 7 through 9. That can be found on your Bible, if you'd like to follow along, on page 651. Our second reading will be from the book of Mark, chapter 6, verses 17 through 29. Beginning... With Amos, chapter 7, verses 7 through 9. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, see I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass them by. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with a sword. Continuing to Mark chapter 6, verses 17 through 29. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee, when his daughter, Herodias, came in and danced, she pleased Herod with his, and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you, even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? She replied, the head of John the Baptizer. Immediately, she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved, yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately, the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head he went and beheaded him in the prison brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl then the girl gave it to her mother when his disciples heard about it they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb this the word of the lord
0: Beautiful. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Holy God, we are diving into scripture this morning that's really challenging. Please be with us as we try to gain insight, perspective, and inspiration from these passages. And please empower us as we seek to be the people you created us to be and the church that reflects your glory, power, hope, and love. Amen. Well, we need to begin this morning with an understanding that the Bible is a strange book, or series of books. When someone says that the Bible is comforting, or it's a a helpful manual for living, or a source of great inspiration, I wonder if they've read it. Not to say those attributes aren't true, but I find the Bible to be extremely problematic. Have you ever tried to read it cover to cover? Did you start in Genesis with a bit of momentum and then lose steam when you got to Leviticus? Have you read one verse and then the next verse and they seem to contradict each other? Have you ever read a, read a letter written by the Apostle Paul and thought, he's kind of a jerk, Well I have. The late writer Rachel Held Evans struggled with how to reconcile the Bible's bizarreness and she came to the conclusion that the Bible is not a static work but a living, breathing, captivating, and confounding book that is able to equip us to join God's loving and redemptive work in the world. Isn't that a great phrase? So let's sally forth with today's passages in this spirit. Despite how confounding this book is, it can equip us to join God's work in the world. But, for just a second, to pause for a point of clarification. Last summer, when Jonathan and I began our season as the interim pastors of Mayflower, we decided to follow the lectionary as our preaching guide. And what the lectionary does is is it divides scripture into sections, and the idea is that every three-year cycle, the Bible's kind of covered with congregants hearing readings and sermons from the scope of the entire text. And who decides which passages are assigned to which Sunday? Well, Jonathan and I followed the revised Common Lectionary, which is the product of a collaboration between the North American Consultation on Common Texts. And the International English Language Liturgical Consultation. Well, that sounds like a fun party, doesn't it? (laughs) All this to say, the lectionary can be a bit of a puzzle. And many churches choose not to follow it, and for good reasons. Often themes or book studies feel more relevant to a congregation. And many of our voices and vision preachers this summer are not following the lectionary. But I decided today to look up the options and saw our two passages from Amos and Mark. What on earth might these scriptures have to teach us? What on earth might they have to do with each other? Amos is a prophet in Israel during the reign of King Jeroboam II, around 750 BC. And things are actually going quite well for the Israelites. But Amos proclaims God's judgment because he attests that the people are not living by God's standard of justice and righteousness. The Israelites are flourishing, they're very comfortable, but at what cost to the poor, the marginalized, and the oppressed? And next there is our passage in Mark. One writer states the only response to this story is horror. Another commentator writes, Today's text is probably one of the best-known birthday party stories ever. So we have Herod, a Jewish leader, completely entangled with the Roman Empire, and he's married his brother's wife, which is a big no-no. He's invited his stepdaughter to dance erotically for his party and entertainment and his buddy's enjoyment. Probably another big no-no. Furthermore, he is so taken with his stepdaughter's dance that he makes a ridiculous promise. In her befuddlement of what to ask for, she asks her angry mother's opinion, and John the Baptist ends up horrifically murdered in jail with his head brought to the party on a platter. This sounds like an episode of Game of Thrones. The family's dysfunction and extreme violence, if it was a movie, would be rated R maybe NC-17, maybe not rated at all. This is not a sweet Sunday school story, is it? And this is one of our lectionary texts for today, which makes things very interesting. So on one hand, we have the prophet Amos denouncing Israel, and no matter how strong they are militarily or religiously, he's pointing out their oppression, debauchery, idolatry, and injustice. And the other prophet John the Baptist tells Herod that it's wrong to marry his sister-in-law, and he ends up brutally murdered. Can we all agree that being a prophet is tricky? Prophets speak for God, not as fortune-tellers or naysayers, but as clarifiers. People who cut through the clutter and the chaos to state what is. Amos is warning the Israelites. They think they're so great and life is good, but he has to clearly state that they are missing this huge aspect of being God's chosen ones. They're not reflecting the heart of God by further maligning those in need. They are self absorbed and self satisfied. This is not of God. And John the Baptist states that Herod is not living in accordance with the laws of God. He is aligned with an empire and a lifestyle that is not God-honoring. These two scriptures point out some things that are seriously out of whack. But there's a very interesting noun in this passage we read from Amos. Plumb line. The Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plum line with a plumb line in his hand. The Lord said to, said to me, Amos, what do you see? And he said, a plumb line. The Lord said, see, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. God sets a plumb line in the midst of his people, which begs the question, what on earth is a plumb line? So a plumb line is a line or string with a plumb, or a plumb bob, attached to it. This plumb bob is a weight, usually with a pointed bottom, that is used to test whether a wall is vertical and exactly straight, or to measure the depth of water. This instrument has been used since at least the time of ancient Egypt to ensure that construction is plumb. If a plumb line determines whether or not a wall is perfectly straight, then if a wall is crooked, in most cases it needs to be torn down and rebuilt. If a wall is crooked, it is considered out of plumb. And a plumb bob, when held by a plumb line, will point with exactness to the earth's center of gravity. What a great metaphor for how God works. God provided the law for ancient Israelites to help align themselves with God's way. Amos is using the same law to point out how they have become out of plumb. And in the text from Mark, we see how Herod is an extreme example of someone out of plumb. He's a Jewish leader, and he knows not only the law, but he's been put in a position of power. Yet he becomes more crooked. And more crooked to the point that he executes John the Baptist, a figure he has respect and admiration for. And he has his head put on a platter because he cannot lose face in front of his friends. Did Herod miss out on the true message of John the Baptist about meeting Jesus, knowing the Savior, because of his out-of-plumbness? Maybe. In fact, this whole scene from the sixth chapter of Mark is an illustration of a room full of out-of-plum people. So is it plum or platter? Perhaps it's a stretch to even try to put ourselves in Herod's shoes, but certainly we can ask ourselves this. Where is my plumb line? Have I aligned my life plumb with God? Do I maybe have some walls that need to be taken down and rebuilt? Interestingly, our bodies have a posture plumb line. This is an imaginary straight line from the top of the head to the floor. In yoga, this is sometimes referred to as stacking your bones with lines of energy or straightening of the spine. When our body's plumb line experiences deviation, The results can be devastating, like restricted movement, injuries, health, decay. A body in plumb alignment can enable us to be agile and move in many directions. When we can move in many directions physically and metaphorically, we can be used by God to serve others. We can be more open to loving and caring for those around us. We can respond to those in need. This is what Amos is calling out of the Jewish people, that there's great kingdom benefit in being plumb. So we know it's important to be aligned, to have our walls straight, and to have our posture in the correct position. Furthermore, as Christians, we espouse a life that reflects the fruits of the Spirit. We are to love others, live morally. Don't you agree? But remember... There's more to what a plumb bob does. This mechanism points with exactness to the earth's center of gravity. And a plumb line can determine the depth of water. When, a, when God tells Amos, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people, is God only saying that they need to measure themselves against the law in the heart of God for righteousness and justice? Maybe. But perhaps God is drawing them to the center of gravity. God is pulling them deeper into God's center. This is the imitation for us, too, isn't it? Yes, live moral lives of love, peace, patience, kindness, and self-control. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. But there's more. One theologian defines God as the ground of our being. What might it mean for us to make God our gravity? By aligning ourselves with the creator God, the cosmic God of the universe, the unhindered God of grace, we get to dive deeper into relationship and understanding of this God being. In contrast, if God is not our gravity... Can we fall into making ourselves God, or perhaps someone else? If our journey is not taking us deeper into the heart of God, if our plumb line is not pointing to the deepest depth of spiritual water, where is it taking us? Herod is an example of someone letting others dictate his moral conscience, with his resulting actions being beyond the pale One writer put it this way, because of an unwise promise, pride, surrounding himself with people of bad influence, the seed John planted fell on stony ground, and John's head was served up on a dish as if it were part of the menu. Herod was eventually exiled, and his legacy is a prime example not only of misalignment, but of profound missed opportunity to meet Jesus in the depths, literally and spiritually. And Amos's audience was blinded to the needs of the most vulnerable people in their midst, and God's judgment of this was severe. They not only missed caring for those who were marginalized and oppressed, they failed to understand the very heart of God. But if we look at the entire book of Amos, the earliest of the prophets, it ends with the promise of restoration. God's mercy and God's love will always prevail. As Rachel Held Evans reminds us, this wild Bible might be confounding, but, it's able to, but it is able to equip us to join God's loving, merciful, and redemptive work in the world. So this morning, we can reflect on Amos and we can ask, are we like the Israelites of Amos' day? Are we too comfortable to be aligned with God's heart for justice? Are we advocating for those who are oppressed, or have we become the oppressor? We can reflect on Mark's account of Herod beheading John the Baptist, and we can ask Who are we surrounded by? Who are we listening to? What kinds of promises do we make? What kind of legacy are we leaving? Are we missing the saving grace of Jesus because we are a bit out of plumb? But we can also ask Are we as a church plumb? Are we aligned with God and are our walls straight? What might need to be torn down in order to straighten our alignment? These are good questions to ask as a church in transition. Do we need to go deeper? And what might that look like? We are constantly being invited to ground ourselves in the gravity of God. This is quite exciting to think about. So in the name of the Creator Christ and the Holy Spirit, Amen.
4: Time religion, cause it's good enough for me. It was good for my brothers and sisters. It was good for my brothers and sisters. It was good for my brothers and sisters. And it's good enough for me. Give me that whole oh, time. you hey.
2: Pray, yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty. All that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours, and you rule over all. Therefore, Lord, receive these offerings, our tangible expressions of love and gratitude. Transform them. Into a source of life for so many, so that your kingdom may grow in the hearts of all. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This is that time in the service when we have opportunity to pray with and for each other. The prophet Isaiah wrote these promising words about prayer. He wrote, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and the Lord will say, here I am. And God is here this morning. You see in the bulletin a list of prayer requests, persons who have sought us to pray for and with them. I wonder if there's any other requests you'd like to add today. Are there any? It doesn't mean, of course, we don't have any. It just means sometimes it didn't spring into our minds. Or we'd rather not say it, but God knows. And so this morning as I pray with you, uh, there will be a, a few moments of silence in the midst of the prayer. For you to pray silently where you are. For those that God lays upon your heart. So, let us pray together. Holy God, we are in your presence this morning and so grateful that you call us to share your holiness as your Spirit works within the interior of our lives and gives us guidance through the plumb line. O grace filled God, Because we are needy people this morning, we seek your grace to minister to our minds, our hearts, and our needs. Heavenly Father, give us the courage and the wisdom to step up to your plumb line found in your word. Facilitate in us the holy life You desire and bless. Forgive our failures. Forget our shortcomings. And fill us to overflowing with your love. It's what we want, Lord. It's what we need. It's your spirit who will live out the plumb line of your gracious life so we will be solid witnesses for Christ wherever we may be. We carry on our hearts those we love and care about, family, friends, workmates, neighbors, members of the community around us. Lord, give ear to our prayers now the requests we bear before you in these silent moments. Listen, Lord, to our unspoken prayers just now. Heavenly Father, there is so much chaos in the world around us these days. People are hurting, hungry, heavy hearted. So many struggle in indescribable ways, yet we are blessed beyond measure. Minister to those in distress all around us, Lord. Bring provision and protection. To those who need it. And in anticipation of your blessing for each of us, we join our voices as you taught your disciples, and so we say together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread.
0: What a beautiful line. May justice dance with mercy and service dance with grace. May nations lift the lowly till peace and love embrace. May you, Mayflower, know today how deeply loved you are by the God who cares so much for you that there was a plumb line placed in your midst. May you be drawn not only to the alignment of this line, to serve others and care for justice. But may you also experience the richness of a life lived deeply pulled into the gravity of God, for there you will find great peace. Amen.